Hello again and welcome to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. You can also hear us beyond the FM dial at RadioNorthland.org. You can listen to us live at our new time slot Sundays at noon here on Pioneer 90.1. Or if you missed us at noon, you can go back and listen to our archives. We have over six years of Wrestling Memories interviews as we head now into our seventh year. We've got more to come uh, as we roll on through the summer of 2018. I'm Glenn Broggett, along with my co-host, Mr. Mike McCurdy, the grizzled vet himself, sitting in his mobile studio without a hint of air conditioning. And Mike, my friend, it's a warm day, but as the summer heats up, wrestling memories is more than warming itself up. And my friend, it's, it's good to have you aboard. Once again, man, pleasure to be on. I always enjoy being here to host and talk with a great guest we've got lined up. And we do have a great guest lined up today. I've had the experience to interview this man a couple different occasions, and I guarantee you there's going to be, well, I'm not going to say a few laughs. There's going to be a lot of laughs, though. And and we may not be on the air after uh, this one airs this weekend, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, you know what? Should we give him the proper uh, announcement? Should we give him the proper intro that he is due? He is uh, he has been done so many things in the pro wrestling business. He has been uh, the king of managers. He is the star maker. He's a podcast host. He's a he's a salesman. He's got merchandise. This man is going, moving, and shaking. And it's amazing, and it's a real honor that he's uh, decided to come on to Wrestling Memories. And also, uh, may I mention, he's a, he's a book author as well. He's a, plenty, a, a man who wears plenty of hats, and it's an honor to have him on. The star maker himself, the king of managers, and, and a guy whose uh, guiding light we, we may seek today. We're talking Kenny Boland. Kenny, good afternoon, and welcome to Wrestling Memories. I, actually, the truth of the matter is, is I don't wear hats, but I sell them. Uh, when you got hair like I got at age 58, you show this stuff because I don't know what the language is like on this show. I just heard you say you're on 90.1, the FM dial. Yes, yes, yes. Say the la- I'd say the language is not what I'm accustomed to when I do my podcast. Is that true? Well, it would be true in some, most cases here. But you know what, Kenny? That's what we can do a little edit here and there if you happen to kind of slip a, slip a curse word right, in. I'm, I mean, I'm going to try and be on my semi-best behavior today. I even heard you all say that these shows air Sundays at noon. Is that, is that true? Yes, Sundays at noon on uh, KSRQ 90.1 and at RadioNorthland.org. And where is and where is this uh, fine station based out of? What, what what city are you all in? Well, you know what we are up here in Thief River Falls, Minnesota, and this is a place that's uh, about uh, uh, less than well, a little under uh, two hours away from the Canadian border. We're about three oh, hours I, from Winnipeg. I, I know about where you're at. On the Fourth of July, y'all go out shopping for winter coats up there. I know, I know what the I know what the weather is up there. Yeah, that's where we get the best deals, man. And uh, yeah, it's it, it may not yeah. be as uh, as uh, warm and sticky where uh, both Mike and and you're at ninety five with a heat index of one hundred four. That's that's the feels like temperature in the shade. Can you imagine that sitting in the shade and it feels like one hundred and four? You imagine what it feels like sitting in the sun because that's where I was most of the time. I didn't see too much shade today. Of course, if Cornette were doing a show, well, Bowling, you cast shade everywhere you go, so. But he's not doing his show today, so we don't have to worry about that. No, Cornette. It's uh, just uh, the star maker, me, and, of course, the grizzle vet, Mike McCurdy, who uh, was our liaison uh, to get you on the air here. And, and Mike, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you uh, get going and, and fire a few uh, questions uh, towards the star maker's way. bring him aboard, did I hear you say he's in his mobile studio? Or is he in his mobile home down there in Texas? And you know when those tornadoes come blowing through down there and those dust storms, Mobile homes are not a safe place to be. And you said he didn't have air conditioning? What What in the hell is he in down there? Well, well, Mike, I want to let you explain yourself because only you can explain, yeah, explain the, the situation here, man. Do we really want to explain this, Glenn? Is this really what we want to do? For our listeners out there, I will let them know, can I let you know as well, I am sitting in my car with the windows down <laughs> because I have children and we don't need to hear daddy, daddy, daddy screaming <laughs> over the microphone for the next hour so. But we like to call it the mobile studio. Now, wait a minute. Did you did you just confess to a crime here? Do, do you have those kids in the mobile home there? Let's not let's not call it a mobile studio. I live in an apartment. I live in an apartment. I live in an apartment. Kids, those kids in a car with the windows rolled up and about 108 down there in Texas somewhere. What are you, are you trying to make bacon out of those kids? What are you trying to do? No, they are actually in an air-conditioned apartment right now where it's, you know, got the air-conditioning set at about 70. They are comfortable. I am the one sitting outside in the mobile studio. 
you're not the normal Texas dad that I know. Terry Funk, Terry Funk, whatever, Stone Cold Steve Austin, those kids would be out in the car with the windows rolled up, and Daddy would be in the apartment doing the podcast and air conditioning. And the dogs, too. you got to get the dogs in the house with Daddy. Uh, well, and the dogs. Absolutely, the dogs. I mean, what did they ever do to anybody? He was the liaison to make this happen today. As a matter of fact... I just realized I was supposed to do my, my own show, but I did I did uh, three shows last week. I did uh, two bowling alleys on YouTube. Uh, one of them was a direct message to Jim Cornette that went about an hour and 15 minutes. And then I did a Facebook Live leading into YouTube for the first time ever. And we just tried that to try a little something different. And uh, so I elected not to do any shows on, on my own network this week. But uh, instead of doing every other week on the bowling alley, we're considering going every week everyone else that does these damn podcasts is doing one every week or hell russo does one every day so i guess i can break down and maybe do a 45 minute show once a week we're gonna look into it maybe we'll make a decision on that in the next 30 days well speaking of the uh, the bowling alley and all that kenny let's kind of start with that because like glenn said you are you know you are also in the podcast world you merchandise book author Man of many hats, although as you said, you don't wear hats because you have a wonderful head of hair. Yeah, I've got about I've got about a hundred select friends that I just randomly send pictures of me. Uh, there's some of you that actually have pictures of me waving at you right-handed, and then the rare left-hand wave, which I rarely do, just because of the way the camera is placed here at the uh, at the Bowling Studios here in lovely Louisville, Kentucky, on the Cherokee Triangle. May I add the most expensive address in Louisville, Kentucky? Uh, but it ain't because I'm rich it's because I got one hell of a deal from a very good friend. Otherwise I couldn't afford to live here either. I own my son. My son lives above me. We have one of those big giant old homes here on Cherokee road and, and, uh, he has the upper level and I have the lower level and it's way more than enough house for the, for uh, both our families. I'll tell you that. What has life been like uh, uh, to have, uh, to your son, uh, you know, you know, doing the podcast, uh, you know, how's that been uh, going, uh, you know, through the years here? I was, I was getting ready to bring that up. You said I'm a part of the podcast world. I am the podcast world. <laughs> I have the longest running show, uh, especially when it comes to, they like to label me as a wrestling podcast, but that's not really true. Uh, cause ever since day one, we have never really talked all that much about wrestling. We talk heavily about current events, uh, heavily about religion, certainly heavily about politics. Uh, never, oh, we don't want to hear about politics. Well, good. Listen to something else. Because uh, we cover a little bit of everything. If I'm not talking about one thing you like, the next subject you might like. And we kind of touch and hit on everything throughout the course. And we'll touch on some wrestling. I mean, hell, that's the business I was in for the better part of 30 years. And and I really still consider myself a part of it because people still contact me wanting my opinions and not only when I do my own shows, but other people's shows as well. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm still in it. But the great thing is, is I don't have to travel the roads every week and don't have to uh, do a, a eight, nine hour round trip uh, to go entertain 100, 200, 300, or maybe if you're lucky, 450 people. And uh, the big shows we did, of course, at the Louisville Gardens were 1.9 miles from my door. So those, we'd go down there, get five, 6,000 people in the Louisville gardens and only had to travel, uh, 1.9 miles to get there. So those were a lot of fun. But, well, well, speaking of uh, Louisville, Kenny, uh, I, I have to mention, uh, a, a gentleman said, uh, to tell him, to tell you, hello, uh, a guy that you uh, had worked was, with, uh, John his name. And I'll tell you if he was a gentleman or not. Okay. Okay. We're going to go with it. Um, John Cosper. A man you've worked with in the publishing world as well as the pro wrestling world. Absolutely. John. He was the, the ghostwriter on, well, not so much the ghostwriter because everyone knows who he is, but uh, he, he, I told the stories and he wrote the book of <laughs> I Probably Screwed You Too, the mostly true stories of Kenny Starmaker Bowl. And, and Cosper also just wrote David Schultz's book as well. Yeah, we uh, actually had uh, David on uh, through through John. I've had John on the program a couple of times when he put out the book Bluegrass Brawlers, and then uh, last yeah. Christmas when he well, put out as that. Matter of fact, Jim Cornette, uh, uh, Chris Chris Bowen, my son, and and myself provided probably one third of that book. We we told the stories and the histories that we knew. A lot of it was about us from my uh, seventeen year run at OVW. My son was there for a good oh, four years himself, and so we—I would say—we provided at least a third of that book, if not more, between me, Jimmy, and my son. Would you then say would he be considered in that category of, of being a gentleman? Then, yeah, if anybody's a gentleman, Cosper would fall in that category. He—he uh, he likes to stay neutral, don't want to piss anybody off, doesn't give his opinion too often, and uh, I guess the only thing you can call those is—is—is is, is a gentleman. 
or, or a pansy ass. And he doesn't appear to be a pansy ass, so we'll just call him a, a, a gentleman. <laughs> he, might be getting, he might be getting ready for that bleeper for the Sunday show. I don't know if you can say pansy ass on, on the Sunday show or not. I think you're in the clear, uh, right, Grizz? Uh, at this point in time, I would hope oh, so, or else what? we've already bleeped him out three times. Gary, hey, what, what the heck does Grizz know? He's about to die of heat, heat uh, uh, heart failure in his car down there, about 131 in his car. Well, that's why I got to check in and let him uh, hit the punching bag a Civic. little bit, man. He's Honda Civic parked on I-40 out there. So I don't know what interstate runs through Texas where you're at. Uh, I, I, I don't. I've only been out in Texas for a couple of years, so uh, you know I don't know oh, the landscape. Wait, wait, wait well, a but... minute. Wait a minute. You've been in Texas for two years. Oh, Lord, years? here we go. You've been, been there in Texas for two years. And you don't know what interstates are there? You don't remember how you got there? You don't remember the moving truck you followed to get there? What interstate you took? There was what no moving truck to follow this out here. We drove out in a Ford Explorer. Where did you Where did you? Where did you move from? What, what, what from city? Northern California. From Northern California. All right. I don't know much about Way that. North California. Way up in the redwood trees. I know I know Stacy Cornett is from out that way. Jimmy Cornett's wife. She lived in San Francisco and I've known a few others out there. I'm about five hours I was about five hours north of that. Holy mackerel, you were in deep North California. Well what in the hell made exactly. you nice, cool, comfortable temperatures there in Northern California to go down to, to the badlands of Texas. Uh, better life for the family. Wanted to kind of get away, you know, new scenery, get a chance, maybe work a little bit more in the wrestling business, which I have been able to contribute a little bit more out here. So, yeah, you know, change the pace for the kids, better education. Now, I feel now, like I'm the one being interviewed today. Now, now, someone once told me that if you were ever going to make the wrestling business better, you'd quit. Now, is that true or not? <laughs> no, not true at all. I make the wrestling business very, very good. I hope. I'm going to throw in a question, though, just real quick. It's not wrestling-related. Don't let me run the whole thing. Y'all go ahead and interview me. <laughs> right. I, I want to get Mr. Boland's impression of uh, Donald Trump's new uh, announcement of he's establishing a space force. Well, we've also, we've also found out that he's going he's gonna to introduce a deep-sea force. He's going to do that, too. And he's going to, you know, who's going to lead it for him? Aquaman. He's going to get Aquaman to lead deep sea for him. Wait, because Lloyd Bridges died years ago, right? Lloyd Bridges, yeah, Lloyd Bridges was his lead guy. And he just found out recently that Lloyd Bridges died. He didn't know Lloyd was dead. Well, yeah, I heard about for the Supreme Court, though, Kenny. I just heard that he found out that Wapner died. Judge Wapner passed away. So now who is he going to pick? Uh, I think he's going to pick, uh, uh, matter of fact, I wrote her today, Judge Janine on Fox News. I said, <laughs> hey, you're in line to get that Supreme Court bid. Matter of fact, I came to your lovely town back in 1987, uh, I'm sorry, late 86, to best man Jimmy Cornette's wedding. And, uh, and when I drove back, when I left Texas, it was 72 degrees. And when I hit uh, the Texarkana line, it was starting to spit snow. By the time I got to Memphis, I was in six inches of snow. And by the time I got back home in Nashville, where I was living at the time, there was 22 inches of snow on the ground. Traveling back from Dallas, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth. I even toured the Ewing Ranch while I was out there, where where Dallas was filmed. Oh, or it's South Fork there. What, <laughs> South Fork, exactly. There you go. The so, Ewing Ranch. Well, the Ewing Ranch, I guess, technically. So, so can, can you talk about the scene that was uh, uh, that mar- that one of Jim's married marriages out there? Could you tell us about one getting to Texas? One of his five. I was out there for that. <laughs> uh, he married uh, Kelly. I think her name was Kelly. She hated me, by the way. Hell, she left. She she cheated on Jimmy with another man. Uh, left him for a uh, a dishwasher up in Chicago. We're talking with the star maker Kenny Bowen, and uh, I I don't I don't know, Matt and Mike. Are you okay out there, man? Uh, here on this edition of Wrestling Memories, then and now, Glenn. I am doing wonderful. As I said, I have had the experience of interviewing Kenny in the past, so I knew what to expect. So therefore, I have let you be the sacrificial lamb. Oh, thank you. At least have the blowers on there, McGurdy. We got the blowers on. So oh, we got a nice breeze going through here. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm comfortable. Maybe the passing cars that go by will, will give you a little bit of a breeze. Might want to look at getting some of that Freon put in there after the show. <laughs> Fixed my car. I had to put Freon in my Cadillac the other day. It was blowing cold out, cold air out of the right side and warm air out of the left, and that sucks. So we went down, so... Uh, I think it was called, it was 179.95 for a Freon charge for a Cadillac, and uh, the guy recognized me from doing shows at Six Flags. He used to be one of the workers out there, and he remembered me and John Cena and a few others. And he said, "My boss would just die if he knew you was in here today." I said, "Well, I said, well, surely your boss would want me to have a discount." So when he uh, brought me the bill, he marked it down to $99. He says, and he says, when I give a person a discount, I have to put on the ticket why I gave it. 
I said, what reason did you give? He said that John Cena's manager was in here. <laughs> he said, he's going to be so mad he missed you. I said, well, why don't we call him? I said, he might wipe, wipe away the other 99, 99 bucks. But it was so damn hot that day. I'd have paid 250 to get that air done. And I didn't want to tell him that, though. So we took the $99 deal and got the hell out of there while we could. Or they changed their mind. I, f- I feel terrible even talking about air conditioning with McGurdy sitting out there about 144 degrees in his car. We may have to have him uh, ask a question to kind of uh, loosen him up to get him to, to not think about the heat. If it gets to 212 in there, that's boiling, and you have to bail. You cannot stay in there if that temperature gauge gets over 212. If I leave the show suddenly, you'll know what happened. Yeah, he's either dead or he left. <laughs> One of the two. Let me call you. Give me an address. Give me a mile marker so I can get a meat wagon on standby out there just in case you need them. And if I'm not back in the house here pretty soon, my wife will come looking for me, so I'll be okay. Any, any, anybody that loves their kids that much needs to be questioned. Let's talk I, a little I, bit of wrestling. Can you? Let's talk about your I, time. and all. My, my, my uh, recent memory sucks, but I remember anything from the 70s and 80s. So what do you got? Why don't you kind of go back a little bit? Let's tell our listeners just kind of how you got involved in the wrestling business. Because you kind of came in at the same time as, I believe, Jim Cornette. You guys well, have been actually, pretty much buddies since day one. Actually, that's wrong. Actually, that's wrong. Oh, I that's did. wrong. I apologize. I have my facts wrong. I didn't come into the business the same time Jimmy did. We both were aspiring to get into the business at the same time. But Jimmy orchestrated a secret meeting with Jerry Jarrett that I didn't know about. Didn't even mention my name to Jerry Jarrett. And all of a sudden, I get a call, and he tells me that uh, he's in the wrestling business, that he's going to be a manager. Well, the original deal was that me and Jimmy were going to pitch ourselves, our, our talents, to Jerry Jarrett in person together. And the deal was I was going to be the wrestler. Cornette was going to be my manager. That's kind of how we did it uh, in our little backyard federations, if that's what you want to call it, when we had the KWA and uh, the Kentucky uh, the Kentucky Wrestling Alliance, which I was the world champion, by the way. And uh, now Jimmy was a champion. of uh, He had some subsidiary titles, but I beat him for all of them. And see, those were shoot fights. And uh, they, they were shoot wrestling matches. We weren't trying to kill each other, but we were trying to win. <clears throat> so Jimmy decided, because I won every title in the KWA, that I'd never put anybody over. And so he didn't think it was wise that I'd get into wrestling business because he didn't think that I would play fair with others and that I would try to win <laughs> every match. I said, well, Jimmy, I don't get paid any money to speak of to be in the KWA if they're paying me a large amount of money. I'll do whatever the hell they want to do. But he didn't drop this on me till after he'd already been in the business for about four or five years and told me that he was going to pave the way and pave the groundwork to get me in. So what I ended up having to do was roughly seven, I guess close to seven years after Jimmy had been in the business, I was uh, shopping, as some may call it, at a service merchandise. Actually, I was uh, returning a piece of merchandise. We'll get into more on that another time. I profited about $400 on this return. We'll just leave it at that. So uh, I'm returning this piece of merchandise, and standing behind me, are you guys familiar with who uh, Nick Goulas is? Oh, yeah. Nick Goulas, yeah. the godfather of NWA Pro Wrestling. He, he's the man that, that put wrestling on the map in, in Memphis, Louisville, Tupelo, Mississippi, Lexington, Evansville, uh, Blytheville, Arkansas, all through the Mid-South. Nick Goulas was the man. And then eventually, um, it was, uh, there was a bit of a hostile, t- hostile takeover that, uh, Jarrett Welch formed where Jarrett and Welch took over wrestling and, and the company split and Jackie Fargo and a few of others stayed with Nick Goulas. They stayed with the evil they knew. And then many of the others that were fed up with not getting big paydays aligned themselves with Nick Goulas. Well, Nick faded out of the business after the, the Jarrett Welch hostile takeover and then I just run into him out of the blue. I'm in a mall in um, Nashville, Tennessee, a service merchandise. I don't think they have those anymore. And I look about four or five customers behind me, me and my wife, Gabrielle, are in line. And I look back and I said, I said Gab, I said, I think that's damn legendary wrestling promoter, Nick Goulas. I said, hold our spot in line. Let me go back and say hi to him. So I go back and say, hey, Mr. Goulas, how are you doing? And he looks at me. Hello there, young man. And, uh, I said, well, my name's Kenny Boland. I said, I just wanted to say hi to you. I said, I'm dear friends with, uh, Jimmy Cornette and Jerry, the King Lawler. Oh my Lord, boy. Will you mind me so much of Jerry Lawler? Just looking at you. Are you in the wrestling business? I said, no, not really. I said, my friend Jimmy obviously is. And he told me he's paved, paving the way for me. And I said, but Jerry Lawler, Jimmy Cornette really haven't done much to help me get in the business. I said, uh, I, I wish you were still promoting. He said, well, man, young man, you in luck today. Cause I'm getting ready to form a new company. 
here in Nashville going to be called World, World Organization Wrestling. That, that's kind of how he talks. And uh, he says, I'm looking for some good people. He says, how would you like to be my next Jerry Lawler? I said, well, I said, I, I've done the wrestling into this uh, uh, on a, a sort of an amateur level. I said, I'm looking more to be a manager and a commentator. Do you need managers and commentators? <clears throat> he said, I need both. He said, would you be interested in doing that? He said, you sure you want to be, want to be a wrestler? I was no, no, maybe from a managerial standpoint, if I got in the ring every now and then, I said, I, I'm more interested in, in, in doing the talking part of the shows. He says, well, he says, show up at my office, here's my office. And his office was his house. <laughs> show up at my office and, and we'll talk over the details. And, uh, and I'll, I'll have you a part of my company here, Mr. Mr. Bolin, if you interested. I uh, said, so, right, so I went and met with him and, and we agreed on terms. Uh, the terms were nowhere near as good as I was hoping they'd be, but it was a startup company. And, um, so the first interview I ever did was me interviewing it's, it's on YouTube. If you want to look it up, it's a uh, me interviewing George and Nick Goulas, uh, for the launch of WOW wrestling. And that was in November of 1987. And in later in November, I managed my first match managing Tojo Yamamoto against Gypsy Joe in Birmingham, Alabama. And that was how I got into the wrestling business with no help. From Jerry the King Lawler or Jimmy Cornette, two of my best friends. Jimmy's been my friend, where was, until last year, for 42 years. But he's pissed at me now because I worked for Russo, and I'm friends with Russo, and he's not. So he's pissed at me, and he don't want to be my friend no more. So he, he's just going to be a five-year-old, and that's how it's going to be, I guess. Uh, Jerry Lawler uh, is not real happy with me because I rant and blister Donald Trump's ass every day on Twitter. And he's muted me on, uh, on Twitter. He still follows me, but he's muted me. And so's Glenn Moore, his host. They don't want to hear my rants on Trump and, and all that. How long were you with, uh, with, with the Goulas outfit then, uh, Kenny? Not, uh, managing not Tokyo? real long. That was 87. I'm, I think I wrapped up in 90 and uh, moved back to Louisville because we just weren't making as much money as I was hoping. I thought I was going to get rich and I was far from it. Thank God the Kroger meat scam came into play right about that time. So this I is a really this is a world famous uh, Kroger meat scam. Uh, this story, Kenny, is uh, one that is uh, for any every time I've, I've heard you, you you've mentioned it, I, I I can't help but laugh, but also I can't help but be like saying, "Hey, man, way to go! You, you were able to I pull think, that off for so long, man. That was a that was a heck of a deal, man." I think. Everybody who's ever been anybody in the wrestling business has either heard that story from me directly, heard it on a podcast, or heard it from a friend in the back of a locker room. And anyone who has ever approached Cornette that, that knew he knew me, hey, Jimmy, tell me, tell, tell me about the Kroger meat scam. And Jerry Jarrett was blown away with it when we did the great debate. If you want to hear a funny podcast, uh, listen to Jerry Jarrett be the moderator for me and Cornette in the great debate which I think we did in 2008, maybe. And so I guess roughly about 10 years ago. And, and needless to say, Jimmy didn't know what he was going to say. I didn't know what I was going to say. Jerry Jarrett had no idea what either of us were going to say. It was just Jarrett had some questions he wanted to ask, and he wanted me and Jimmy to answer them. And, uh, and Jarrett moderated it and scored it as to who he felt won the debate. But originally, at the end of the show, he thought due to the Kroger meat scam, that I had hor horribly hurt my reputation in the wrestling business. I was, oh yeah, meat scam's going to hurt a wrestler's uh, 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 integrity. The following day, he declared me the winner of the debate because uh, he finally figured out I was just doing what was necessary to feed my family and that I was innovative and that I'd done something that not one other person apparently on the planet Earth thought to do, and that was take advantage of a company's warranty and make four times the money that I invested off their meat for a period of roughly about five years, from 1987 to about 1992, when Kroger wisely abolished their W money back meat policy and and actually hurt me financially. I lost big money when they show, shut that down. Had to go to work in the corporate world, working for Humana, and then uh, several years later, I ended up uh, with OVW and was helping Jimmy out some in uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to ask you about uh, with with uh, being involved with with Jim and Smoky Mountain. Uh, what sort of things that did you did you do with uh, with, with Jimmy at Smoky really, Mountain? Really, uh, really not that much uh, for two reasons. One, I lived a long way away. Two, I was learning that nobody in the wrestling business, uh, other than the WWE and, and WCW at that time, were really making any money to speak of. 
Paul Heyman owed everybody money. So even, even people in ECW that you thought ought to be rich, uh, based on uh, the shows they were having, uh, Sabu told me that, that, that Heyman owed him thousands and thousands of dollars when he left. Rob Van Dam was owed tons of money. Uh, Jericho was owed money. Uh, but anybody that was anybody that worked for Heyman, uh, left with him. I want them. That's why they hung around. He owed them so much money that he had them where he wanted them. Cause if they left, they knew they'd never get it. But, but Heyman would always promise you, you know, Hey, well, it's coming. You know, we're going to be big. We're going to be on TNN. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And they always thought the big money was coming, but it, but it never did. Well, all the and, while Heyman had the backdoor deal with the WWF as far as with talent exchange and maybe some money under the table too. So, well, you know, well, he kind of had his end covered. WWE, it wasn't coming from Heyman. WWE was the ones paying that money. It wasn't coming out of Heyman's pocket. And, and that was the way he kind of kept, uh, you know, kept these guys yeah. uh, for, for so exactly. long. Yeah, Sandman and Rob Van Dam and Sabu and, and various others. Oh, yeah. And Man. then when you when you think about guys like Balls Mahoney and Axel Rodden, who are there till the end as well, and now they're not with well, us, Balls, you know, 10, 12 years. Mahoney worked with me down in Smoky Mountain. I was mainly a ring announcer for Jimmy. I did a lot of the big Knoxville shows. I was Jerry Lawler's personal ring announcer the night that he was there. And a couple of nights he was there. And, uh, I always ring announced the Barberville shows, the Somerset shows, and occasionally the Pikeville shows. But it was such a long ass drive for me to go to Louisville down there. I mean, he could really only pay me about a hundred bucks, put me up in a hotel and, you know, it just wasn't worth it. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd lose money on that trip. Well, he'd cover my gas. But when I say lose money, I could stay home and work an extra shift at Humana and, and make twice as much as I was going to make working for Jimmy. But. But just to keep my, my foot in the door, I, I went ahead and did the shows occasionally. Now, did you and, uh, at, at all see like the guys, the, the the big money guys, like the Rick Rubens? Did you ever hear of, about them being ever you know in, in near a Smoky Mountain show, or were they were just pretty much working out in L.A.? I I, I didn't know much about. It. I, I don't even know the name Rick Rubin to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, the, the the record producer, uh, of course. But uh, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, Jimmy's financial backer. Yeah yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, now that you say that, I know who you're talking about. Uh, I just thought he was an idiot for putting that much money into it. I want to talk about uh, your involvement with OVW. Uh, of course, uh, with, with, with Jim Cornette was uh, also involved with that. But I also want to talk about how you became involved with it, and also uh, another guy that is a big, always connected with uh, OVW, uh, Dan Davis, the Nightmare. Let's talk about your story with OVW. I'd been working some shows for a group that did hardcore wrestling here as a favor to Dennis Corluza who was a big deal in NWA wrestling in the Philadelphia market. And uh, he and I were dear friends. Uh, as a matter of fact, he came to Nashville, picked me up to take me to a wrestling convention in Memphis because he knew I was tight with Lawler. So he picks me up in Nashville. We go down there and hang out for the weekend. That's where the Piss Boys come into play. And Tom Robinson, who, who grew from his little tiny skinny little punk into a great big bouncer guy, and, and a stand-up comedian in the Philadelphia market. So uh, that's how we all became friends. And then uh, Corlusa took me down there, knowing that I could kind of open the door for some interaction with him and Lawler. And I think Lawler had heard of him, but uh, didn't really know him. He didn't know Lawler to the level that I did. So Jerry was shocked uh, big time to even see me there, because I'd never really gone to any of those things. In years and years, me and Jimmy used to go down to Memphis and see his big matches against Terry Funk and, and Nick Bockwinkle and stuff like that, uh, uh, Briscoe, uh, Jack Briscoe. But uh, for as far as wrestling conventions, I never, ever went to any of those. So when Jerry looks up and sees me and Dennis Corlusa standing there, he about died. He's, what in the hell are you doing down here? I said, hanging out with my buddy Dennis Corlusa. So I introduced him and. And uh, like I said, they knew each other a little bit, but not real well. And then next thing I know, Corlusa is showing up as an attorney on Memphis television. So it, it worked out that he actually got some uh, some bit part jobs out of the deal. But it was such a haul from Memphis to Philadelphia. He didn't do a lot of them, but from you know from time to time, you'd see Dennis Corlusa playing the role of a uh, shyster attorney on the show and, and somewhat of a manager as well. What he was doing on these Ian Rotten shows, whose name I even hate to damn mention, but uh, that was uh, he ended up getting banned from Kentucky. And, and then Danny Davis showed up over there for a Night of Legends shows where we had Terry Gordy there. That was the first time I ever got to work with Terry Gordy. Um, God, I was managing Salvatore Sincere from the WWE. I was feuding with uh, Timothy Wells and Stephen Dunn uh, and was managing uh, a few of the OVW boys over there. 
that were working both companies. So when Danny come over and saw my work, he starts talking to me in the back and he says, you and Cornette are best friends, right? I said, yeah. I said, me and Jimmy were in talks right now. I said, we're thinking about making this over here, a developmental group, uh, for the WWE. I said, Jimmy wants to get out of the WWE and we got a nice facility here, but I said, this damn Ian won't quit doing his hardcore crap. And I said, I don't think WWE is going to go for it. I said, I think he's killing the deal. He says, well, me and Jimmy are good friends. He says, why don't you and Jimmy uh, pitch me for doing it? He says, how would you like to come over and start working for me? And I said, I'll do anything to get out of here, Danny. I said, why don't you pitch some ideas? Uh, Let me know what money you can pay me. And I said, hell, I'll be at your place for your your, uh, next show. And he didn't have TV yet. He was just getting ready to start doing TV. So uh, we were on at like 1.30 in the morning on Fox 41. And I showed up over there. And the first few episodes, I was sitting out in the crowd taking notes. Dean Hill's doing the announcings. And Dean's putting, oh, my God. Do you see, you see who's down there in the seats? That, that, that's Kenny Bowen. You, know, you, you guys know who that is? That's, that's Jimmy Cornette's best friend. Why is he here? Well, why is he taking notes? What's going on? Oh, my God, there, there, there's something up, folks. And, you know, Dean, just the worst actor in the world. <laughs> but uh, So they put me over for three or four weeks sitting out in the crowd. And then on about week four or five, when uh, their fifth television show hit, I joined Dean at the broadcast booth. And I was in competition with Les Thatcher, Bill Dundee, Dutch Mantell, and maybe one or two other guys to see who was going to be the color commentator for OVW TV. And I'm thinking, well, I ain't got a chance in hell. Dundee, Thatcher... Uh, Dutch Mantel, legends in the damn business. What, what chance have I got? I said, hopefully I can hook up over here as a manager and I'll just have to be happy with that. But I wanted the commentator's job. So I'm doing the shows and the fans are eating it up. The fans really like my stuff. And they're writing the OVW website and they're telling Danny, hey, we really like this bowling guy or we hate this bowling guy, which is what you want. And, uh, and then Dundee does his, Dutch does a couple, Thatcher does a couple. Danny calls me back to the office. He says, well, the competition went down. He says, Thatcher ain't cutting it. I said, really? I said, so it's between me, Dundee, and, and uh, Dutch. He says, well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. And I said, what's that? He says, believe it or not. And he says, I know you may not want to believe this. He says, but Kenny, you're smoking it out there. He says, God dang, you're good at this. He said, you ever done this before? I said, no, only in my bedroom <laughs> or I said, driving in the car. I said, not in an actual broadcast booth. No, I said, I've never got to do it. He says, man, to listen to you, I'd swear you've been doing this for 20 years. I said, well, I said, I've grown up around this business, and I know the talent, and I know everybody. I said, I've aspired to do this, uh, hell, since I was 14 years old. And uh, I was 37 when I went over to OVW. So, you know, I felt, you know, I was well-trained as anybody, and I could hold my own with anybody verbally on a microphone. And uh, he says, well, he said, we're just going to save everybody else the trouble. He said, because this cost in Dutch and bill time and money from other shows to come up here. So they just wanted to help me get off the ground and get off to a good start. And he says, so if you want it, the job's yours. And I looked at him as you're going to pick me over Dundee, Mantell and Les Thatcher. And he said, yep, job's yours if you want it. So we talked about money, come to an agreement. And, uh, so I started doing the commentary eventually was commentating and managing. I'd commentate the show and then go down and manage Rip Rogers guys, uh, the Seymour punks. And then that built onto others as time went on. And, then eventually Jimmy came in. We put together the developmental agreement. Jimmy's first job on the show was to fire me as commentator. And if I wanted to manage any wrestlers, I needed to go out and recruit my own, which is where I recruited Mr. Black, Bull Buchanan, Mark Henry, John Cena, Rico Constantino, uh, uh, Sylvester Turkey. I'm sure I'm leaving some others out, but th- that was pretty much the core group uh, that I put together in the beginning stages there. And and, uh, and that's when, how bowling services was formed. And, and, uh, Mr. Black was my first ever employee. Miss, uh, Bull Buchanan was my first WWE, uh, guy to get called up to the WWE and John Cena, obviously my first mega mega star. And then Rico was right up there with him as well. What do you remember, uh, when first, uh, you know, talking and, and meeting up with, with, with John Cena, what was your first impressions of him and what was the, oh, those uh, early days oh, like I working did. with him? I knew promo-wise he was light years ahead of, of all of us, and I never really put too many people over me on the ability to cut a promo. But Cena came in light years ahead of me. Now, we, we did two different styles of promos. I was better at getting heat than he was, but he was better at actually delivering just any type of promo off the fly and never getting lost. He always knew where he wanted to go. He knew the beginning, the middle, and the end. And it was his own story. 
and uh, and he could create them on the fly. They used to have a thing called promo class, and they would ask uh, the wrestlers to get into the ring, and w- what we're going to do is we're going to give you a scenario, and you need to cut a promo about it. And the scenario, okay, Cena, you got, uh, you're in a cage, you're at WrestleMania, and you're wrestling a squirrel. Cut me the promo. And he cut this promo about a flying squirrel. <laughs> that was the damnedest thing that anyone had ever heard. And that Cena was trying to build an audience to come and watch him versus the flying squirrel at WrestleMania. And that was what put him on the map in promo classes, is just that you just cannot give it. So he got to be known as somebody that you just could not stump in promo class. You could give him any situation, and he would sell you tickets to go see that show. Was there anybody and, else in that class that was similar? Or, I mean, at least as close as they could get to what John was doing as far as understanding no, his character? No, no, not anybody even close. Um, me and Rico had our own styles of promos to do. Uh, Batista couldn't say crap if he had a mouthful. Uh, that's why he was uh, made a demon and brought up out of the Ohio River. Uh, Brock Lesnar, horrible promo. Uh, still is. And uh, Shelton Benjamin, great athlete. Had no promo skills back then. Uh, but I tell you who has come a long way in promo ability is uh, Bobby Lashley, who I had towards the end of my career at OVW. Him and Ken Doan and, and uh, The Miz were amongst the last three three or four, Mike Mondo, Gene Snitsky. That was kind of the last of my core group. Shad Gaspard uh, managed him for quite a while. Uh, Carlito Colon. I don't mention them a whole lot because they, they just weren't part of the original Bowen services. So you don't hear me plug those guys a lot. Uh, Dolph Ziggler, he, he was another one of my guys. And um, I don't plug them as much because Cena, Rico, Bull Buchanan, Henry, and Turkey were kind of the groundbreakers of the men that I was sending to the WWE. And I sent a total of 54 that at least got an opportunity in the WWE, at least got a dark match, uh, was contracted for a period of time. I had, I had 54 men at least get a shot. And, uh, and uh, hell, at least probably 30 of them signed a damn contract. But th- th- that's why I always feature on my beginning guys. The other guys, you know, I'm proud of them, and, but they weren't the original core group. Uh, we were the third level of uh, training for the WWE, it was uh, Memphis was one, Cincinnati two, we were three, and 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 hell, even figure in Puerto Rico and Shawn Michaels School, hell, we might have been fifth. Uh, there was like five developmental schools then, and eventually they all went away, except for, uh, except for us, and then they reformed one in Atlanta. Uh, so they were around for a while. I forgot what Atlanta was called, but uh, and they, they produced a couple three people, but basically every star that was made came out of OVW. Uh, the only one that we couldn't take full credit for was Kurt Angle. Um, he came out of Memphis, uh, but Memphis would be ashamed to take credit for Kurt Angle because Kurt Angle was kind of like Cena. Uh, Kurt had all the wrestling skills, decent interview skills, and, and they got better as time went on, especially by the time he got up there. Cena had all the interview skills in the world, but lacked the wrestling skills. And Vince McMahon wanted to cut him and Rico Constantino at the same time. Now, we never told Cena that he was about to be cut, but Vince admitted it on, on the DVD that I'm on, uh, My Life, that features uh, John Cena, and then me and Danny Davis are interviewed on there, and now you'll also see Vince McMahon on there being interviewed, saying he didn't think Cena had what it took. So that was really when Cena found out that Vince wanted to let him go and, and didn't believe in him. And me and Danny and Jimmy had to talk him into keeping Cena, so we verbally handled that one. We had to actually meet with Stephanie McMahon and at the help of Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, where he set up a meeting with, uh, I think, uh, Cornette, Austin, and uh, Rico to meet with Stephanie to save his, uh, to save Rico's job. And then Rico, he'd already been let go. And uh, we said, well, he's on a 90-day no-compete anyway. Why don't you let him tour with the guys for 90 days? You're paying him anyway. Let him tour for 90 days, show you what he's got. Let, let, let him show you what he's shown us. And at the end of 90 days, if you still want to let him go, let him go. But if not, hire the damn man and give him a contract. But you're, you're, you're idiots if you don't give him a shot. You're paying him anyway. Why would you pay him 90 days to go home? Let him prove himself. 
And they did, and he got five years out of his, out of his contract out of the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a world now, uh, in pro wrestling, it seems like uh, there's somebody somewhere who is saying, uh, "Well, they're a, a real good wrestling teacher, a wrestling coach, or whatever." They're charging people to train to train under them. Who this guy hasn't mm-hmm. probably worked uh, three or four matches uh, consecutively ever. Uh, but right. it, the, the case of the OVW, uh, you you talk about Rip Rogers as a trainer, and how, just how important was that to have a guy like Rip? Uh, you know, kind of overlook. And training some of these guys, and kind of uh, you know, getting giving them some seasoning with, uh, you know, just talk about what, what about Rip Rogers. Rip, Rip was really great for the old schoolers, uh, the, the old school way to let them know the old school mentality. Uh, Rip was really set in his ways, and uh, there was kind of his way or the highway when it comes to, to bumping and 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 all that. Uh, I was whatever help I could be in promos, but it's like I told somebody, you know, you got to be yourself. You can't be me. Jimmy writes these promos and wants you all to be Jimmy Cornette. None of you can be Cornette. Not even I can be Jimmy Cornette, and I know Jimmy better than anybody. I can't get up and do a Cornette-style promo. I I have to do a Kenny Bowen. Sorry, my headphones hit the mic. Um, I have to do a Kenny Bowen promo. I have to make people believe what I'm saying. And here's how I know when I'm doing real good. If I believe what I'm saying, then I know you're going to. And that's how when you cut a promo... You have to convince yourself it's the God's honest truth. If I tell you that I'm going to come down to the, 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 the where you at Fort Worth, if I'm going to tell you I'm going to come down to Fort Worth and I'm going to grab you and I'm going to uh, private that gum uh, uh, Opal Cadet you're driving out there on I-40, which you don't even know where you you don't even know how you got there. I need to convince the fans that I'm really going to come down there and yank you out of that car. Now I'm not doing it now because I'm not in promo mode. But when you're going to cut that promo, I have to make the fans get in their cars and go to mile marker 26 on I-40 where you're parked and wait for me to show up and do the things to you that I said I was going to do. And trust me, if I was in promo mode and I'm being paid to do so, I will convince people that I'm coming to Fort Worth at uh, high noon on Friday afternoon and your ass is grass. And uh, that was a, a skill that I had. Uh, Jimmy was very good at that. When Jimmy cut a promo... Uh, and we learned that from Jerry Lawler. When Jerry Lawler cut a promo, we were we knew better. We knew it was a work, but he was so good at it. He but God, I bet he hates Mantel. He can't stand him. And it turned out that him and Mantel really did not like each other too well. Uh, Dundee and Lawler did not like each other too well. But it translated in the ring, and it was big money. And when you're in Memphis and you're on the biggest television show. Um, Heck, back then in the United States, they got bigger ratings than than the Dagum World Series back in the seventies and early eighties, and uh, they would preempt the World Series uh, back when there was a lot of day games. The World Series would have to be joined in progress when Memphis wrestling was on NFL football. It would be joined in progress. You did not interrupt Memphis wrestling, and that's how big a show it was back then. Mainly because Jerry Lawler convinced the, the fans, because no one knew that it was a work back then. They all suspected. Many fans suspected. But for every, for every five fans in, in the building that thought it was a work, there were 25 fans that thought it was real. But that's about what the ratio was back then. For the guys that thought they were smart, it was rare. you know. And if they did think so, they didn't say it out loud. Because you didn't want the boys in the back getting word that uh, that you were out there bad mouthing their product, because uh, they didn't take too kindly to it. I mean, it's a whole different world right now, and Jimmy got an, into that world seven years before I did, and it was already toning down a little bit by the time I got in. Vince had already told everybody it was fake. So, uh, but as you see, people still go. People still uh, not as many. Uh, as it was in, in the, the era that I was there uh, through the, um, what do you call it, the Attitude Era. I mean, hell, they were getting 9.5 ratings back then on some shows. Now, that's in the neighborhood of 10, 11, 12 million viewers. And now they're lucky to scrape up 2 million viewers on any given night. So we've lost a lot of viewers and uh, partially maybe because Vince admitted it's fake, but I'm not going to lay it all to that because even after he admitted that, the Attitude Era still did well. And uh, so that that's not the whole thing. It's just that now there's no competition. Uh, there's no drive for the guys to work harder, to do better. I mean, I'm in the WWE. Where else can I go? Nowhere. Anywhere else I go is downhill. If I go to ROH, if I go to TNA or whatever they call it down there now, it is a huge pay cut. 
And uh, and the guys are making nowhere near the money now that they were making in the in the uh, Attitude Era. Everybody was making money in the Attitude Era because WCW saw to it. And that's why everybody was bailing on WWE. They were going down there to get those guaranteed contracts in WCW. And, uh, and I saw it all firsthand because we were the developmental for that group. And then eventually it, it, it worked out, uh, after 88 weeks of them being number one down at, uh, WCW T or, uh, well, I guess it was WCW back then. And then, you know, the Monday nitro show eventually when the NBA playoffs came on and nitro was aired at two o'clock in the mornings and people were seeing raw live, um, and not on tape delay. That's when the Attitude Era took off. That's when The Rock, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels all became huge stars and carried the company. And, 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 and WCW had never saw another day that they were anywhere near the ratings of WWE. It was all an embarrassment from that point on. It wasn't even close. I'm going to bring in Mike McCurdy back into the conversation. Mike, uh, you have any... Ooh, any- ooh, is he, he, isn't, he isn't dead yet? Um, can you one thing I'd like to touch on? The names come up quite a few times uh, during this interview. Can you tell us a little bit about your friendship with Jim Cornette? Because I've, I've talked with Cornette a few times. I mean, he's obviously one of the best wrestling managers of all time, right along with you. So can you tell us just a little bit about, you know, you, Jim Cornette, and kind of your correlation and your trip together? You want me to explain to you why? And I don't, I don't mean to blow my own horn, but as Bobby Heenan used to say, who better knows the tune? You want me to explain to you why I am 10 times a better manager, and not 10 times more famous, but why I'm 10 times a better manager than Jimmy Cornette. And let me see if I explain this to you. And then if y'all disagree with me, say so. I got no problems with people disagreeing with me. And here's the reason that I say I'm 10 times the manager he was. And, and, and there's also been others. But also better than Jimmy Hart. I won't say I'm better than Heenan. I was better in Heenan in a category. But the best entertaining, best overall manager of all time was no doubt was Bobby Heenan. But here's why I'm better than Jimmy Cornette. Jimmy Cornette, name, name me who he's, most, who he's most famous for managing. The Midnight Express. Midnight Express. Now, who else did he manage? Big Bubba Rogers. And Big Bubba Rogers, yes. Big Bubba Rogers. Who else? Uh, we could go with, well, we're, we're not going to talk about the new Midnight Express. We no, won't mention Bodacious Bob and we should Bombastic Barton. That proves right there he couldn't manage anybody. Uh, <laughs> that, that put that away. Well, he Yoko did the, he did the did the Yoko stuff, but that was kind of just uh, in cooperation yeah, with Fuji. Yeah, it was. It really was. It was kind of hard to almost even get him credit for managing him. And uh, of course, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. We had uh, Stan Lane and uh, I'm sorry, Stan Lane, Bobby Eaton, Dennis Condry, and Bobby Eaton, mm-hmm. who were you want to say the original Midnight Express, but they weren't. Randy Rhodes and Dennis Condry were the first Midnight Express. That was with actually Paul Heyman. Jimmy has stolen every idea and every gimmick that he's ever had from somebody somewhere. He couldn't even come up with an original tag team. The Midnight Express was already done, and he redid it. And then he redid it again when he went to the WWE and had a team that just flat out did not get over. He managed Yoko, and there's nothing earth-shattering about what he did with Yoko. And yes, I will say that he may have elevated the Midnight Express a little bit, but all at, at, at the expense of elevating himself even far higher. And name me, and here's where I'm going with this, name me the one wrestler that Jimmy took from dirt that no one had ever heard of, he never had any TV experience, very few of any professional matches, and turned them into worldwide wrestling stars. So we're not going to give Ray Trailer and, and Bubba Rogers that 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 is as, that is as close as we can give him. But unfortunately, Ray Trailer was already on worldwide television and was doing well uh, under the tutelage of Dusty Rhodes and Baby Doll and all those guys before Jimmy ever got his hands on him. Well, yeah, and it was and it was that match with Tully Blanchard on uh, a Georgia TV or on World Championship Wrestling in the TV studio where uh, Tully was able to get him up for the slingshot that uh, really uh, got us a lot of uh, you know got a lot of eyes towards uh, Ray Trailer yeah. back then. The next yeah. you know next couple of weeks later he's he's, and then, he's, of course, he's Bubba. When Dusty hit uh, hit him with that chair and his hat stayed on. You remember that? <laughs> yes, yes, me, I me do. and Dusty talked about that at OVW when he came down. He could not believe that I saw that and remembered it. He said, you know, not one of these kids in here uh, really even knows who I am or what I've done. They, they just know my name. I'm Dusty Road. They have no idea about my history, what I've done. 
He says, I'm here to give advice. He says, Kenny, you know how many people come up and talk to me today? You. And he says, none of them, no one in here has asked me for any advice. I said, that's, I said, that's scary. Dusty. Says, that, that's scary. And he was down there, you know, not doing the dusty roads gimmick. He, he was, he was Virgil, uh, Virgil Reynolds. So uh, he wasn't down there in, in, in the gimmicky voice and everything, but no one come and talk to him. And that was when we had, uh, Cena was gone by then. Uh, Rico, Bull Buchanan, Turkey, all those guys were gone, but we had, um, Oh God, who all did we have then? I think we may have had Bobby Lashley by then. Uh, we had Shad Gaspard. We had, um, Carlito Colon. Um, what was punk in there by then or what? Punk, punk was there. Never came up and talked to him. Uh, punk, punk got into an argument with Tony Atlas about, uh, uh, who sold more tickets at uh, Madison square garden. And it wasn't punk. And, uh, and there were the guy, there were the guys here that were the brothers. They, they, they were sent here to be brothers. And then Vince found out they weren't brothers. And he was the guy that, uh, that got all that internet following, but he just still wasn't very good. And then the, and the live crowds just weren't that into him. He's still there now. Can you think of who I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Him. Well, somebody here was his brother. Now who was that? I don't remember a brother, but I remember he was acting with, uh, Kurt Hawkins. Okay. uh, They were edgeheads. Yeah, I think they were the major brothers down okay, there. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. And then when Vince found out they weren't brothers, he killed the deal. They were here, and they all were back-talking Tony Atlas. Instead of just shutting up and listening to what Tony Atlas had to say, whether you agreed with him or disagreed with him, that is that is the level of mentality that the people have right now, that they all think they know more than everybody. They all think they're way more over than they are, and many of them aren't. Uh, who, who's the girl there that hugs everybody? What's her name? Uh, Bailey. 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 The closest thing to being over she has been since she's been in the WWE was this week when she, when she just went rough shot on, uh, on Sasha. Even I was entertained by that. And I am not a Bailey guy at all. To me, she is on the bottom rung of the talent that they have there as far as the females go or very, very near the bottom. I just don't get it. She's great for little 12-year-olds to get behind, but even the 12-year-olds get sick of her eventually. This week was great. I mean, hell, even I was popping. And uh, and Sasha put it over good. Sasha took her ass whipping and then did it the right way. And uh, but that was a, and the crowd, did you hear them? They were getting behind Bailey. They were getting behind Bailey because there's some there that, that, don't like, uh, that don't like Sasha. But I can't really tell if this is making Bailey a face or a heel. I think it might be making her actually... A Steve Austin type face to where the more she comes out and screws with Sasha, the more the crowd's going to get behind her because they weren't booing her. They were all behind her, but that's because Sasha comes off as an arrogant little. And, uh, even though I love her to death, man, I think she's just got one of the greatest looks of, uh, any of the divas up there. And of course I'm a huge Oscar fan. And, uh, but if you knew my love for Asian girls and there's two more coming that are just off the charts, looks wise and talent wise that are even better than Oscar. <clears throat> which is hard for me to say, uh, but they're coming and they're good. Uh, Akiri, what's her name? Oh. Uh, they're down in NXT now. There's two of them there. Akiri or something like that's one of them, and I can't think Akiri of the And there's one more. Akiri just, one of them. And there's one more that just got signed, too. And uh, one of them's got that funky-looking elbow drop off the rope. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw that during the, the May Young Classic. That was that, the, the one that, that Mike... That is the dance drop. I don't know if she taught herself that. I don't know if that was by accident. I don't know if she just couldn't do one, and that's what it turned out like. That is the funkiest-looking elbow drop I've ever seen. I can't imagine that she taught herself to do it that way. I just think that's how she does it. That's just how it naturally came out. And somebody said, stick with it. You know, that's your thing. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but I can't imagine you could teach yourself to do an elbow drop that way. I could, uh, back in the day, I won't say I can do it now. Back in the day, I could go up and drop a hundred elbows and there ain't a damn one of them that would ever look like that. That is one. And I love seeing it. I think it's, but I like different. I liked Enzo. I couldn't imagine Enzo could ever whip anybody. I thought Enzo would be more of a manager or these little cruiserweight guys. I mean, that's, I, I cannot buy Enzo being in there actually whipping any of the, of the so-called real wrestlers. Uh, but God, he was entertaining. And he was one of the reasons that I watched the show. And on Twitter here several weeks ago, when when Big Cass showed up, uh, it was hard to get him to show up because it's hard to find him when he ain't hurt. When Big Cass showed up in a suit with that tiny little head and that stringy-ass hair, and he can't do a promo to save his life, and they're giving him all that ring time to go in there and try and get some heat, and he, all he's doing is saying words. He's not cutting a promo. 
He's back there saying the words that he was told to say. You can tell when somebody believes their promo, and he don't a bit more believe his than a man in the moon. He is saying what he was told to say. I looked at my son. I said, well, there's time of death on Big Cass. He said, what do you mean? I said, he's done. He said, why do you say? I said, well, number one, look at him. He's not a suit guy. Number two, listen to him. He ain't a promo guy. I said, number three, how many long-haired, stringy-haired guys are we going to have in the WWE? Apparently, word got out about that because I used to give Corbin hell about his hair. He looks much better now that he's cut the hair. And uh, he, he just was not getting over as one of the main talents. I don't care what anybody says. They, they, can, they can give you all the false hype they want. You could put him in the main event and people would turn their tickets back in. Kenny. There are some people that are just, yes. So what do you think about Ronda Rousey then uh, with, with the WWE? Uh, what are your thoughts on her and what, oh, how Ronda, they've been using Ronda her so Lousy. far? Ronda Rousey, who doesn't have an ounce of timing in her entire body. Her pro, her, all she's got is that bird face she gives everybody on the way to the ring. And, and she's trying to learn when to smile and when not to smile and when to give the angry face. And, when to, and her timing is, is, the, is crap. And I'm going to clean it up as much as I can. She should be way better than where she's at to have been in this profession for several years. I don't care if it is uh, MMA or whatever the hell they want to call it. it. It's still entertainment. It's still, it's, you know, you, you got to know how to work. And uh, she, I will give you this, that little armbar thing she does and how she gets into it, most impressive. I sure as hell couldn't do it. Uh, even in my heyday, I can't imagine that I could apply that thing as quickly in the way that she does. You know, one but of the more, the more unfortunate things, though, for her is uh, Roddy Piper passing away a couple of years ago because if Roddy were still alive with the whole endorsement thing kind, that he did. Help tutor a little bit. Yeah, I think that would be a good mouthpiece, a guy, I not maybe not all the time, but for a couple her. of events. Yeah, because they just, they just gave her the name because she was already known as Rowdy Ronda Rousey or whatever. Has no right, really, to be wearing his... At least me and Jerry Lawler have a 44-year history to where if I come out calling myself the king, at least we have a long 44-year storied history to talk about why I think I'm the king. Uh, why she's tying herself with Roddy Piper just because they called her Rowdy. I got a friend who goes by the name Rowdy Ron, but that don't give him the right to think that he's Roddy Piper. I am not on the Ronda Rousey train at all. I think they're giving her way too much money for way too little talent. She's, she's been, they've been secretly training her for the better part of a year and a half, maybe two years now. And she has absolutely no timing on her promos, no timing on when to do stuff. And her punches the other day look like dog crap. And if, and if I, if I was in the locker room and knew the type of money she was getting, as opposed to the people that actually work hard, can do their work, uh, somebody like Nia Jax, somebody like, uh, Oscar, uh, and, and even a little biscuit, butt there, what's your name? Alexa bliss. Alexa does a hell of a job. Five feet tall, cuts promos the way she does. Doesn't embarrass herself in matches. I got no problem with Alexa. And she's uh, attempting to, and she's attempting to find the psychology of it, of, of what wrestling is too. I mean, uh, working with her character totally and developing it. it. I don't know where she learned it at. I, now I did see her on Divas a couple of times, and and sometimes you see a little bit more of their true side on Divas. That that, that that's why if you know Natalie Nightheart and you watch those shows, Natalie has always wanted to be pretty so bad, and always wanted to be a diva and to be one of the girls. But she also kind of wants to be one of the boys. She likes being known as as a as one of you, but let's face it, Jim Neidhart was not Bret Hart. You know, they, they were good together, but one of those guys was the master wrestling technician and the other one wasn't. And, but because, but she comes out to Bret's music, which I don't really quite understand. Uh, she, she's a Neidhart, not a heart, but they all are kind of married and intertwined together and all that stuff. But, um, I do not view Natalie as a diva. Natalie needs to be. Almost one of the boys, one, one of the tough girls can come in here, but, she, but she so badly wants to be a diva, the little cat ears and, and, uh, the, and, 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 well, I'm, I'm, this might be my last shot and all that. Well, quit hanging on, you know, good Lord. I knew the good, good sense of when to get out of the wrestling business. And that was when I was sick of seeing what I was seeing on TV when I'm sitting there as the commentator and have to commentate this crap. And, uh, and, and kill my own, uh, validity by trying to act like this is a good show and I wouldn't do it. So that was one of the primary reasons I left OVW. I didn't like the product that we was putting out and it was embarrassing me to be a part of it. Okay. We have some time left. Uh, I want to just bring Mike back in to kind of wrap things up with, uh, you star maker. 
Honestly, I'd like to just kind of give the uh, floor over to Kenny for a minute to let him, you know, advertise where we can find the Bowling Alley and some of his other podcasts and just kind of give him the floor so our fans can, well, if we have any fans after Sunday at noon, but <laughs> they can go and find him and listen to what he's got to say. Uh, the best way to find me is, uh, on Facebook at backslash star maker Bowling. My verified account, which I do check from time to time is backslash star maker Bowling. Uh, to find, to listen to the Bowling Alley, you can either get the links on Twitter or Facebook. Anytime I do those shows, I put links to them up on my, uh, oh, and, and Twitter is at star maker Bowling. Guess I need to make that clear too. And uh, always new shows going up there. I normally do two YouTube shows a month. I do two Facebook Lives a month. Those are all documented in videos. If you just go to videos on Facebook, you can pull up every Facebook Live I've done. And uh, YouTube, the same way. You just go to the YouTube channel that's ours, and all of our shows are archived there, and you can see any of them that you want. Uh, but I, I think once a week ain't too bad. I, there's all, Especially the way the country is now, there's always something to talk about. Let me know when you want to do another show one day, and we'll certainly do one in the near future. Thank you so very much, Kenny Starmaker Bowling. Thank you so much, Mike McCurdy, for uh, braving uh, the elements. And for me, Glenn Broggett, and for Kenny, and for Mike, this has been Wrestling Memories Then and Now. So long. I did say good day. <laughs>